Hello, everyone. You are listening to the late morning program, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. Uh, I am so excited to talk with my friend, Keshi Mardan Prabhu. Keshi Mardan Prabhu, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. The, the goat of Hare Krishna podcast. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm walking, walking amongst giants. <laughs> Oh, come on, come on. So, so, so today, um, yes, yeah, so this is episode 46. Uh, we are talking today about the necessity of cows in the post-COVID era. So um, amongst other things we're going to talk about, this is like something that, um, that I'm very interested in. And we haven't had any guests come on and speak about that really. So uh, this is a great opportunity to, to hear from someone who's doing it right now. Keshi Mardan Prabhu in Pennsylvania is doing it, uh, along with the team at Gita Nagri Farm. Uh, so I'd like to hear so much about um, that whole, you know, how that goes on and everything. But let's just um, start out with, um, wait, before that, uh, this weekend we have two podcasts going on. This is a double header today uh, with Keshi Mardan. Tomorrow with Kishori Jani at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're at the same time as now, we're going to be talking about Vedic feminism uh, and empowering women in Krishna consciousness is going to also be a very fascinating conversation. But uh, yeah, let's just get into it. Keshi Mardabru, tell me a little bit about your uh, history. Like, how did you come in contact with Krishna consciousness? Yeah, so um, it was in a place far, far away from any Hare Krishna farm. <laughs> it was uh, actually, I, I was born in Florida, but I moved to Las Vegas when I was 13. Oh, with really? my uh, with my mom, yeah, and yeah, and my sister, and uh, I actually was in college. I was at school at UNLV there doing my undergrad, and um, yeah, I, I suppose the devotees actually were there at the university uh, for a while without me even knowing it. And uh, but I had to go through some of my own things to be able to see them there. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah, I had some, I had some really transformative and eye-opening experiences um, in college that made me really start, you know, questioning um, kind of the, hmm, maybe the, the the path that was kind of like being set before my feet. Uh, you know, this, you know, kind of consumerist, you know, routine and just, you know, program uh, that, uh, you know, is kind of, promoted, you know, even just in our school systems and things like that, you know, the education system is, you know, designed to, you know, help you get a career to maximize your income and so on. Um, and I felt I started, you know, thinking a little more, more deeply about that and, and what I wanted to do. And um, yeah, I found a lot of um, answers in, in uh, Eastern philosophy, um, and particularly in yoga philosophy, mm. um, actually, by way of um, psychologists, uh, especially, you know, during the 1960s and 1970s, um, who were, you know, starting to kind of um, take some information from these Eastern traditions and incorporate those teachings into their actual psychotherapeutic practices. Um, uh, yeah, so, yeah, anyways, I became really interested in that. 
Yeah, I was. I actually was. I started out studying pre-med. I was. I was thinking I was oh, going to really? go to medical school or something like that. You know, that oh, was wow. the. That's the thing to do. You know, that's the the height of achievement. You know, <laughs> to go to med right, school. Right. So, you know, that was my that was my plan. And then, yeah, I, I started thinking actually. You know, I'm I'm planning on going to med school. And you know, yes, it's a great achievement. You know, to become a doctor and so on. But it's also as a it's a great career path for helping people. You know, who are suffering from a variety of you know illnesses and so on. But, you know, I started to think um, and observe uh, in so many situations, you know, persons who, uh, you know, are maybe suffering some physical ailment or illness um, and they seek treatment, maybe get treatment, recover. And then due to some actually like un untreated and, and maybe like uh, unaware uh, behavioral or, or mental health issue, you know, they will repeat that damage to their body again. You know, like, you know, like one of the obvious, you know, examples is like um, they have these shows on TV of, you know, like people who get very, very obese. Right. Right. And then, you know, and then they go and they maybe have some surgeries or go on some really strict diet or whatever it might be and lose all the weight. But without actually, you know, dealing with the, you know, kind of mental health issues that might have contributed to getting them to that point. Um, a lot of times they will actually repeat that same damage to them. So I started thinking about that and I was like, well, what is actually the deepest way to, you know, really help people and, you know, um, yeah, really, you know, just try to uh, increase the quality of people's lives. And so that that's what got me interested in psychology was like, okay, well, if we can really, you know, try and, you know, treat the underlying, the underlying, you know, foundational, you know, causes of, of illness, that will be the best career for me. And, um, so anyways, yeah, I switched my degree and, and, and went into psychology. And uh, I, I, I found, as anyone else who studied psychology, is that nobody has, you know, a <laughs> clear answer necessary. There's no axiomatic or, or foundational, um, you know, or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, there's no uh, silver bullet, you know, for, for mental health issues. We, we right, have a lot right. of different tools. There's a lot of different models to help us understand, you know, trauma and things that people are going through. Um, but I think because there's also a lack of understanding of the self and who we are as, you know, existential creatures, you know, just going through life, um, you know, that, that creates a, you know, a difficulty when, when treating these very um, deep and subjective, you know, issues like trauma and so on. So, um, so yeah, anyway, so about that time when I started realizing that I started very much getting uh, deeply into yoga and meditation, and um, yeah, at a certain point in my in my in my pursuit, I I became very seriously interested in in finding a teacher. You know, someone who could really, you know, show me this yoga philosophy in life. You know, I'm reading right. all these different books and hearing you know from all kinds of people, uh, but you know, I want to see somebody who's actually doing it and, and who can show me. And so I, you know, I started trying to expose myself to different spiritual groups, but it, it was actually a, a professor in my, in my university, a philosophy professor who connected me with the Bhakti Yoga Club at our university. And in, in Las yeah, Vegas? In Las Vegas, yeah, at the University oh, wow. of Nevada, Las Vegas, which is literally like a mile and a half from the strip. <laughs> you can wow. see the buildings <laughs> from your classroom. <laughs> you can see the <laughs> casinos and the <laughs> clubs Amazing. and all that. Yeah, so... This, uh, you know, very sweet uh, professor of mine, you know, I, I approached him looking for, you know, some some sadhu sangha, you know, that's what I was really looking for. And um, yeah, he, he just connected me with the Pakti Yoga Club and uh, I met some really sweet devotees, Sir Paul Prabhu and, and Krishna Mai. Um, they uh, 
pioneered a, a preaching center in Las Vegas and did so much amazing service there. And wow. so I actually got to move into their home, which was, you know, like their preaching center. And I got to stay with them for two years while I was finishing my undergraduate degree. And uh, yeah, it was just a blissful time, you know, helping out with the university club. Um, you know, it was so busy. It was such an amazing time, actually. I was far busier than any other time in my life, but my grades were, you know, just the best they'd ever been, uh, wow. you know, because I was just absorbing, you know, such wonderful association. So, so yeah, anyways, I, I, I met those wonderful devotees there and um, they, they're longtime disciples of Dave Ramita Swami uh, back oh, from, see, yeah. back from the, you know, the early days in Poland, you know? And, yeah. And so, um, you know, he would come and, and travel to Las Vegas and, um, I got to meet my my spiritual master, Zelenis Devanita Swami, there, and so so yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of been that's a little cool. bit of my journey. And after I graduated school, yeah, I, you know, continued my my journey in Krishna consciousness. And right, so now, so yeah. um, now you for the past few years you've been uh, a cowherd at uh, Gita Nagri Farm in Pennsylvania. Tell us how that hap how that kind of happened. Yeah, and uh, then yeah. we'll get really into into that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, yeah, my spiritual master is David Swami, and uh, when I when I graduated school, I I had some time to go and travel, and so I went to New Zealand and spent some time at the Bhakti Lounge and um, oh, nice. up in Auckland. Yeah, yeah, it was really sweet. Yeah, I've and, been to Auckland. Um, Auckland's yeah, and then, nice. Oh, it's so nice, and their preaching programs are so uh, so lively and so enthusiastic, yeah. and and the people there too are so friendly. It's uh, that was one of the things when I went to New Zealand. I was like, wow. People just like to talk to you. It's like, nice, you know, nice. in America, it's like everybody's I'm like, there. Oh, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got something to do. But yeah, and, and, and the so, but yeah, there while I was there in New Zealand, and he invited me to come and stay at Gitanagri, uh, you know, and, and I was also pursuing at that time, I was, you know, considering to pursue staying in a Brahmachari ashram. And so when I came to Gitanagri, I, I, I stayed and put on saffron and so for four years, I was a brahmacharya at Kitanagri until last year. Wonderful, wonderful. Wow. So tell us a little bit about um, about like cow protection there. So the the so so for people who don't know, Gitanagri Farm is is our kind of like our flagship ISKCON farm in uh, on the East Coast. Um, and they have a dairy uh, that's that's uh, it supplies milk to subscribers. And I don't know how many. You, Prabhu can tell us how many cows there are and all that's the details, but basically yeah. they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're a very uh, organized cow protection, um, basically ISKCON center. So tell us a little bit about what goes on there and your experience there uh, in, in Gita Nagri. Yeah, yeah. Um, I came here five years ago, and so um, that was just... Now, Gita Nagri, of course, has been around since 1974. Prabhupada established the farm. Um, in 1974, it was kind of, um, you know, at a time period when Prabhupada started to switch his mood from, you know, distributing books and, and buying temples and so on. He started to really start focusing on preaching for devotees to buy farms and to grow food and take care of cows. And so in 1974, the devotees from New York City actually bought Gita Nagari and they were looking for a really, you know, nice piece of farmland, like high quality farmland that would be really useful for, you know, providing food for the devotees, because that's what Prabhupada wanted. And so there were actually a few pioneer farming devotees um, who came to Gita Nagari. Paramananda was the president uh, during that time, Paramananda Prabhu. 
And so, yeah, and they did, you know, so much pioneering work, but, you know, as, you know, phases of time, you know, change, um, you know, there's been, you know, ups and downs. Um, but in uh, 2013, Gidanagari decided, and with the help of some sponsors and investors and devotees who were interested in, you know, putting some money into a cow protection program, they actually started a commercial dairy operation so that we could, you know, certify the operation by the USDA and actually publicly sell milk. Um, of course, first, you know, focusing on the ISKCON communities in the area, like Prabhupada wanted, you know, D.C., New York, the New Jersey temples. He wanted that, you know, all these devotees, they should be getting, you know, you know, their food and their vegetables and their milk from Krishna's cows. And so our, my Guru Maharaj, Devamrita Swami, you know, really took that, you know, to heart. And so he's really focused on, you know, trying to create a, an environment here where we can, uh, you know, teach devotees, even who are not coming from agricultural backgrounds like myself. You know, I <laughs> practically never stepped foot on a farm before Gidanagri. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, you know, we try to create a culture where people can become interested in these things and actually find out that, you know, within me, I am actually like, wow, I actually find find it really fulfilling to grow vegetables or work with cows and milk cows and, and do all that stuff. So it's both a, it's both a center for, you know, producing and, and for, you know, providing uh, food uh, for families and so on. And it's also a place for, you know, education and, and for teaching people about this, you know, lifestyle, this, this uh, uh, cow-centric and, and land-focused lifestyle. Um, it's naturally very suffolk and, and healthy. Right. We were talking earlier. I was talking also, I told you, I was talking to my wife about how reliant I feel living here in New Jersey on like others. For example, getting food from ShopRite, getting my gas from Shell or whatever, you know, or, or getting, um, you know, the, I have to pay the city for water, sewer, electric, uh, everything, gas. I need, I need to, to live. Like if any of these went out, like we saw in Texas recently, it's, it's like, it's so like, we're so reliant on others. So let's, let's talk a little bit about like, why, why is it important? Do you think that we should develop farm communities like this because i think it's important because i don't want to be reliant on on others in such a deep deep mm. way because we can we see right. how how like um tragic and kind of like it's like a calamity like that what happened mm. what happened in texas and what's happening around the world nowadays so um mm. what's your experience living in gita nagri and kind of like living mm. No, you're not completely off hmm. the grid. You're like living. The cows no. are getting milk. You're, yeah. you're getting vegetables from the land and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, just as you were saying that, was something that came to mind is that you know, I think that one thing that maybe our, you know, my generation and and maybe you know, folks a little bit older than myself and certainly younger than myself as well is that we we definitely have become used to you know having access and having the right to a lot of different facilities, you know, like we have the right to clean water and we have the right, you know, to fresh air and we have the right to, you know, access to food and grocery stores and so on. Like those are the things, you know, they can't close, you know, when even when there's something crazy going on because, you know, we're the citizens and we need to access it. But, you know, we also have a responsibility, you know, as human beings and as citizens to, um, you know, do something, at least some portion of our uh, energy to put forward to actually maintaining, um, you know, the, the the systems and the knowledge traditions um, which uh, can protect us as a community and as a society and even as a species um, when, you know, the natural cycles, you know, of time, you know, go on. 
And, you know, these cycles are going on in a very, you know, grand way, like with the kalpas and, you know, so on. But they're also going on in, in you know, they're going on in our life with, you know, the yearly seasons. They're going on with, you know, us, our, our bodies are aging and dying. And so, and so also our social institutions and things like that, they are also subject to, you know, entropy and to, you know, decaying. So if we outsource, you know, too much of our responsibility, you know, for, you know, maintaining the knowledge of how to grow our own food, how do we provide ourselves with fresh water? How do we educate our children? How do we, you know, all these different, you know, essential, you know, core human, um, uh, you know, needs and activities um, that we may have outsourced them a bit too much. And so I think that it's, you know, kind of a time right now with COVID, um, you know, and a lot of the um, restrictions and a lot of the, uh, you know, economic uh, difficulties that that's put on people, um, as well as the mental health difficulties that that's put on people with, um, you know, being in, in cities and being isolated from nature and being isolated from other people as well. Um, it's a, you know, it's a time to reflect, you know, and really think, you know, how how is the lifestyle that I'm living, um, you know, how sustainable is it um, uh, for myself or, you know, the future generations? Um, and so I think, you know, you know, we're not doing, you know, everything at Gita Nagri, like you said, we're not like off the grid, you know, we still use, um, you know, gas and electric and we're still on the internet and all that kind of stuff. But we're trying to, we're trying to at least maintain this central value of living with cows and taking care of cows. Um, and, 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 and knowing that from that, having that central activity, so many other things um, actually will follow from that. Um, that if you have cows at, at the center, um, naturally you have to do so many other things. You have to take care of the land. Um, you have to live a sophic regulated lifestyle because cows have to be milked and <laughs> they have to be milked you know, whether it's, you know, you, you're, you're tired or you're not tired or, you know, whatever it is. And um, so, so, yeah, I think that, you know, that we've really focused on that, um, on, on making the cows the central focus. Um, of course, the, the deities, the Radha Dhammadar, they're, they're Radha Dhammadar's cow, cows. Um, and we consider it, you know, like our, you know, deepest pleasure and also our deepest responsibility to take care of them because we know that by doing so, um, we're also providing ourselves with the best possible lifestyle. I, I remember when I was talking to you initially, you were saying how, like, you are the devotee of the cows. Can you elaborate? <laughs> can you elaborate on that a little? Because uh, every person who I talk to who has cows and 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 have kind of centralized their life around taking care of cows, they say speak like this. They speak like they are the cows. They're just in love with the cows. Like, what is it about the cows that makes you like that? Can you explain that? <laughs> Uh, I can try to explain, but okay. it can only really be experienced. But you know, they the cows are <laughs> so. You know, it's um yeah they they're they're uh yeah. Anyways, oh my goodness, how to explain? It's like yeah, it's it's almost an ineff an ineffable experience. You know the the you know uh, I'll just talk from you know from my experience. Then when when I when I first came here. Um, to Gita Nagari, a few months after I came here, we had a, a calf, a little male uh, bull calf was born. His name is Arjuna. And um, he, uh, anyways, very adorable, you know, little calf. And so in my free time, I just decided to start hanging out with him. And we have these little rope halters and you can put a rope halter on them and, and walk them around. And so when his mom would go into the barn to get milked, I would walk him into the barn 
and put him next to his mom. So he, he would just hang out there with his mom. And, you know, it, after doing this day after day, he just kind of naturally learned and he became like this little, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, I don't want to degrade a cow by calling him a puppy, but, you know, he's like, you know, walking along with me. And it was just so, you know, so sweet and adorable. And I would take him out and, you know, we would run around with him and, and so on and, you know, be there with his mother and, and like this. And anyways, we developed, you know, such a, a relationship. And, you know, as he's grown now, he, now he's a massive 2000 plus pound ox, you know, oh uh, this, the, you, you actually, you develop these relationships with these animals um, and you really get a, a, a powerful realization um, that we are all spirit souls and we're all in different types of bodies and there are all kinds of shapes and colors and sizes and all that kind of stuff. But the oh. essential core of our being is the same and you know when i look when i look into the eyes of you know one of those cows you know i see i see another that's there's another jiva just like me in that body you know and and the same things that i want and i and i feel like i need and i desire you know i'm i i, I want to be loved and i want to i want to also i also want to like you know serve and love other people because cows are also you know they they're very they want to please they're 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 affectionate and they're they, when they develop relationships, you know, and they have trust and, and, and affection for you, they'll also want to please and they want to do things. And so, yeah, they're just, you know, they're, they're so, they're so, they're so sweet. And they, you know, when my, my Guru Maj often reminds us that, you know, when, when, when cows are taken care of in this, you know, loving way, and when they feel protected and, and loved, um, it saturates the environment, you know, it saturates the environment with mode of goodness. And, and this energy is, is palpable. You know, you can actually, you know, just feel it. And, and, and we've had so many experiences. One of the functions of Gita Nagri is, like I said, it's an education center. So we also bring groups and retreats. Right now, there's, we have 55 university students staying on the farm right now for a four-month stay. Um, they're doing their courses and volunteering and so on from all different schools. Um, and we have had so many people who come. And just by seeing the cows, I had one one. One really wonderful lady, she told me, I had, she had come for a couple of uh, retreats and I hadn't met her on the first time she came. And the second time she came, she, she approached me and she, she talked to me and she said, um, you know, when I came um, to Gitanagari the first time for my, my retreat, the first retreat that I came to, um, I was a meat eater. And she said, I never thought I would ever get a, give up, you know, eating meat, um, you know. Uh, and she said, uh, one day I saw the cows being walked in uh, from the field, you know, into the milking barn. And she saw these couple of devotees who were walking the cows from the field into the milking barn with them. And she could see just by the very brief, you know, uh, you know, uh, video or view that she had of, of the devotees and these cows walking in, um, by this very brief vision that she had of them, she could see this palpable affection that, that was there between the devotees and the cows. And in that very moment, she said, I could never eat meat again in my life. And, wow. you know, it was wow. just, you know, amazing. You know, someone who's, like you know, yeah, had these behaviors all their life, you know, lived a certain lifestyle. They see one for one moment, they can see actually these are creatures who want to love and they deserve love. And I, I can never do anything to hurt them again. It's powerful. That's it's amazing. very powerful. It's yeah. like such a disconnect when when people like in this day and age we live in like the when what comes on your plate and then 
if that's actually you know an animal and uh and and that disconnect doesn't allow people to be but like in your story what you just said that connection was made that that yeah. some that this is what i'm what i'm eating was actually a a, a living person a person. person like it was it was there yeah. it was walking it was feeling it was like yeah. and and uh i think that's amazing that's a beautiful part of Gitanagri and just any cow protection uh program that it connects people to who are who are eating meat connects mm -hmm. their what what they're doing to to like the real world like this is where it comes from and this is what it is and you know I think that's I think that's amazing. Another point was that I know in um, in Mumbai at the Govardhan Eco Village, they, they there's like a there's like some kind of program where they just sit with the cows and they like mm. the cows and it like it brings some kind of peace to to people. And I know you want we wanted to talk about that about connecting uh, animal therapy interventions uh, with with cows. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean that's. Um... Yeah, that's a real, you know, personal interest of mine. Um, there's, there's been actually some devotees, maybe who are watching this, or maybe even yourself, may have seen um, some, uh, sometimes some articles. Um, I think there was one in the Wall Street Journal, and maybe one in, in, in a couple of other places about cow cuddling therapy. Um, you know mm -hmm. that, um, and and uh, yeah. Anyways, I had done some looking into it, and yeah, basically there are. Um, you know, folks who are, you know, seeking out rescued cows and like farm sanctuaries and things like that to be able to reconnect with cows for a therapeutic uh, benefit and a therapeutic experience. And it's definitely something that we offer to, you know, like all of our guests, guests and visitors and these students and things when they come out, we always, you know, show them to the cows. And when, especially when cows, you know, live in an environment like they do here and when they are, you know, born here and raised here, their whole experience of human beings is benevolent you know every human being that these cows have ever interacted with has you know been interacting with them out of affection and out of care and so they've they've learned these cows have learned that they should just reciprocate and so they love people back and the people love on them and they you know and it's just this wonderful exchange and i think that's something that people miss a lot uh in in, in the in the world today is is just a real you know genuine um, connection of affection. Um, and uh, there's something, you know, really special um, that can, you know, happen, especially when you're sitting next to this, you know, big, warm, you know, <laughs> motherly cow, you know, and you could, you know, practically wrap yourself in her, you know, and it really can, you know, have some, you know, transformative effects on the heart. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I have some personal interest in, in, in maybe even developing a, a protocol. I, you know, I have a degree in psychology, an undergraduate degree in psychology. So um, yeah, I'd be interested in actually exploring and, and, and developing a, a protocol for, I guess what we would call bovine assisted uh, therapy. Because they have, wow. you know, horse assisted therapy and dog therapy and cat therapy and so on. And it's not just sitting and cuddling with them. It's actually, a, there's a therapist working and mediating and, and they're actually, you know, working through some issues, you know, and they have some goals and things like that. But you know, the, the therapeutic animal is there to help and support and to facilitate transformation for the patient who might be suffering from some, you know, some kind of uh, trauma that has been put back in the, you know, far reaches of the mind. 
we can get into that a little bit later. Let's go back to uh, Gita Nagri. Um, talk a little bit about the 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 you know the working the land part of that. So I I understand that um, is it like is it that mm. you can grow everything like do you go grains and like vegetables that you can kind of use throughout the year and like fully live off of that or is there is there some is there some things that have to be brought in and things like that yeah kiranakri you know because we are hosting so many people um and we're not just like feeding ourselves um we are we are definitely you know using a lot of outside boga you know for the kitchen and things like that um, but what we try to do is that during the during the growing season, especially, um, we offer a CSA, uh, which is called Community Supported Agriculture, um, which is a way for yeah a way for families basically to subscribe to a, a share of the crop. And so each week throughout the season, which is like 22 to 25 weeks or so, members will get a box with like 15 to 20 pounds, and there'll be all kinds of varieties of seasonal vegetables and so on. So. We're doing that vegetable production. Of course, we also have a lot left over during the grow growing season, which gets used for the kitchen and for Barada Damodar especially. We always like to make sure that we have, you know, homegrown stuff. So they always get really nice, you know, uh, homegrown vegetables. And we have, um, I've I actually managed beehives at Kitanagri. We have about really? 50. About, yeah, yeah. So wow. we, have, yeah, we have, yeah, yeah, we have 50 beehives and produce quite a lot of honey. And so, you know, Radha Damodar, they get a really wonderful, you know, Maha Abhishek a few times a year. And so it's so it's so pleasing and it's just so satisfying, you know, to be able to bathe the deities with all the milk and milk products from their own cows and honey from their own beehives and things like that. It's extremely satisfying. Yeah. Wow. This this is like so inspiring for me. But I I, I speak I could speak honestly. Like how does someone like me who I'm I'm so entangled in in right now in living in a in a in a suburban area where it's like i have to buy my electricity and my gas and my i don't have access to you know a cow or i don't have access i do have land a little bit of land in the back we grow things but it's not like anything like mm. a lot or anything like that how do you what's your advice to someone like me like how could i work towards you know um going towards kind of like that self-sufficiency or farming or mm. protection, mm. like where would I start? Yeah. Well, you know, there's, you know, I think there's also some misconceptions about, you know, farming that you have to like live really, really far away, you know, to go and do farming. But I'm pretty sure that not too far outside of many suburban areas, there are a little bit of more like countryside, you know, kind of areas where there may be properties, you know, maybe 10 acres, 15 acres, you know, small, but enough for you to be able to have a few cows, uh, maybe like, you know, a little more vegetable production, something that maybe you could do as a supplemental income. Um, and then you can, you know, maybe keep your risk if you have another business or another job or something like that, that maybe isn't too far away. Um, or you can, you know, look into, you know, like relocating near, near a community and making it a little bit more of a focus of your life. Um, you know, Gita Nagri, we have been really focusing on cow protection and really trying to increase uh, the, the quality and the stability of the program. And so one thing that we needed to do to facilitate that was to actually purchase more land um, because the you know, amount of grazing land and the amount of land that's set aside for growing winter feed, um, if there's you know, inclement weather and things like that, sometimes uh, the winter feed program can really suffer. 
So what we Wait, decided to do last um, year actually was the, the, yeah, is in Gitanagri, isn't it? It's something like 300 acres. Yeah, it's 350 acres, but only about 150 of that is actually um, like arable land. Um, I see. So you know, yeah, two about 200 acres of it is is woodland and you know buildings and residential areas and okay. things like Sorry that. Sorry to cut you off. Continue, please. Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so to kind of, you know, to create a little more, you know, stability in that program to make sure the cows are well fed and, and so on, we, we started looking at options for how to, you know, buy some land. Um, and we came across, you know, this uh, program uh, through the USDA, which I was in a, I had Madhava Smolenprabhu, uh, you know, interviewed me for an article in the ISKCON News, and we talked about that. Um, this uh, financing program from the USDA, which provides, you know, new farmers uh, with extremely low rates for financing up to 100% of the purchase cost of the property. Um, and basically, yeah, it's, it's a government program, which we were shocked, you know, to hear that, you know, the government is really, you know, so interested in trying to help support new farmers. Uh, it seems that they recognize how big of a problem it is that, like, the average age of a farmer in the United States is, like, approaching 60 years, you know. Oh, so God. young people are not getting interested in food production. Um, at least not in the way that it had been done for for like many many decades. So yeah, I think yeah, I think the you know the the government is kind of seeing how that's an issue, and so they have this program uh, with the USDA uh, where people can access very low rates of financing for farm properties. Um, and basically, um, you don't have to only be a farmer, but they want to see that you're living on the property and you're doing some kind of farming, some kind of agriculture there. Um, and you have some prior experience doing that kind of farming that you want to do. Um, and uh, it's, a really, it's a really awesome program. I highly recommend it to devotees. Um, unfortunately, the property that I bought, the houses were in a bit of disrepair, and I kind of underestimated how much of that disrepair was. <laughs> so, right. so, but, but fortunately, the, the land is, is, is of you know, very high quality use, and so one uh, investor is actually going to purchase it for Gitanagri and just put it in Gitanagri's name. So, but, wow. um, but, but yeah, so yeah, so, so it ends up working out really nice, but, um, but yeah, I mean, for devotees, if you're, you know, interested in, in, you know, maybe, maybe you don't want to do farming full-time or maybe like, you know, you're not sure if you're going to be able to, you know, fully, you know, monetize it in such a way that will sustain you financially. Um, but, you know, see, see, you know, explore these different options and, um, you know, it's also a great way to build community, I think, you know, uh, living in the country and, uh, you know, one milking cow can produce enough milk for many families, 10 to 20 families, you know. One uh, cow? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, really? Like one of our, yeah, we have, we have milking cows, Peru. <laughs> They're amazing, these cows. It's, it's all about the love. If you, if, you, if you treat them with love and care, they will do amazing things. So we have several cows like this but one cow in particular she's famous on our farm jackie she 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 has not had a calf in going on eight years and she's producing upwards of four to five five gallons of milk per day um you know God. delicious you know <laughs> that's fantastic milk. that's per day four and a half four to five gallons of milk per day that's wow. you know so you're talking you know 35 gallons of milk a week if a family uses, you know, one to three gallons of milk a week, you know, that's 10 families. So, you know, wow. you know consider, you know, devotees can consider, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful lifestyle. Um, it's so much more, 
fulfilling it's so much more natural you know just even as a human being you know to live in connection you know intimate connection with nature and with cows and with other animals and with the environment um you know i think it's uh it's uh, it's it, it, it's so unfortunate that so many people miss out on having any real experience of that you know so yeah, yeah really encourage the bodies it's such a dream of mine to to get land and have a cow. I, I look actually looked into the suburban town that I live in right now. I went to I actually called the department of I don't know what it was. I, it was a few years ago, and I said if I wanted a cow, like a pet cow, <laughs> well, how much? How could I do it? And they're like, well, you're gonna have to have one acre per cow or per animal or whatever. So I was like, okay, well, that's not you know. That's not, <clears throat> I, I, there are properties in this area that are like maybe two or three acres and I could have a cow if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Um, a little bit more about that. Um, so, so now, now that you're, now that you were kind of like out of the role of a monk brahmachari, like what is your, what are your future plans now? Like you're going to stay at Gita Nagri and, and, and be, and work with the cows, continue to work with the cows. I hope so. I hope so. I, I, I can't imagine my life outside of, you know, being, being with cows. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, my, my plan is to, uh, you know, try to, you know, live my life in the way that's going to be the most helpful, you know, according to the, you know, the skills and, and qualities, you know, that I have. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, I have, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, wonderful, uh, you know, intentions of what to do, but, um, sometimes, Krishna has a different plan than what your what your plan is, <laughs> and I think a lot of devotees probably have that experience. <laughs> so yeah, sometimes we make our plans, and Krishna has his plans, and you know sometimes it can be a little difficult, you know, going through that uh, experience of you know trying to understand what it is that Krishna's plan is, and mm. you know, so I have my you know degree in in psychology, my undergraduate degree, and. Um, had not really intended, you know, much doing much with it. Um, you know, was considering options of, you know, what I can do as far as a farming lifestyle, maybe keeping keeping bees as a business, you know, is something okay. that I could certainly do. Yeah, you know, it's a great source of income. Um, unfortunately, though, um, you know, I, I we had a really tragic loss in our in our community um, some weeks ago in January. My good friend. Um, committed suicide, uh, Isha. Um, and, uh, so that's been a real difficult experience, I think for everyone. Um, and, um, yeah, I think something that has been really pressing on me, uh, is the need to address the growing crisis of mental health. Um, and, um, I'd like to, I'd like to somehow be able to be of service to the community of devotees. Uh, in that way, um, and uh, so so I've been considering and making some plans and consulting and trying to see what it is that will be for the best for you know Krishna's plan, and um, so it seems like graduate school is on the rise for me. So I've actually applied to a couple of programs. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to get involved with clinical psychology counseling psychology um, and uh, yeah try to try to develop um, you know some practice and maybe some conceptual models with devotees as well 
that might better help to address this mental health crisis as it continues in the future. Because, uh, you know, I just wrote a paper actually um, talking about some of these alarming statistics about mental health in the United States. Um, you know, uh, in the last year, actually from January to December, or excuse me, January to September of 2020, 40% um, of Americans reported suffering from at least one mental disorder. 40%. And 40%. And the year before that, it was 20%. Um, so wow. in, in one year, it jumped 20%. Um, yeah, and it's, it's really unfortunate also when you look at the, the rates of mental illness amongst adolescents and, and youth. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's really unfortunate and, and quite, um, yeah, it's quite alarming. You know, it, it raises some, some need to really reflect and, 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 and a sense of urgency about, you know, what, what are we doing, you know, as a collective and as individuals, um, that, that we might be able to do better to help address this problem. And I think for, yeah, for me personally, I have I'm a inclination towards, um, psychotherapy and, and so on. So. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to see if I can try and develop something based on my experiences at Gitanagri with cows and nature to try and help people in the future. Let, let's unpack that uh, mental illness among devotees mm. uh, thing. And uh, first of all, my mm. condolences. I knew Isa uh, was a wonderful person, and I was so sorry to hear that. Um, what do you say, like amongst devotees? Like, what do you say to someone who says? okay, there's mental illness and things like that. Uh, maybe it's not very understood properly. Like, okay, you just chant Hare Krishna and your every your problems are going to be solved. Mm -hmm. Like, is that not the case with mental illness also? Like, is it, or does it have, or does it need some actual treatment when it comes to these type of things? Like, how do devotees relate with that? You know, when it comes to their yeah. Krishna conscious practice and a mental illness? Well, you know, I think what I'd like to do at this time is I would like, <laughs> I'd like to quote one of the giants from the previous podcast. And last week you had Garuda Prabhu on the podcast, right. and I really enjoyed his, his uh, you know, discussion that you guys had. And one of the points that he spoke about, which I really appreciate, and I think, I think I'm going to start repeating, uh, is that, you know, we should, devotees, as devotees, we should speak about what we know about. Um, and mm -hmm. we should be we should be honest about what we know about. And um, if we are not really experts or skilled or trained at all in in mental health care, in diagnosing mental illness, um, yeah. and so on, I think it could be potentially dangerous um, for devotees who don't have that kind of training um, to diagnose someone who may have a legitimate uh, neurochemical imbalance. Um, that needs to be addressed, maybe through psychiatric uh, medication. Um, and there are plenty of mental disorders which are biologically and neurochemically based. Um, although there are plenty of others which uh, can uh, can be mediated by, you know, chanting, by meditation, by uh, a regulated lifestyle, and, and maybe counseling and things like that. Um, but um, I, I think that you know, you know, it's not false that chanting the holy names of Krishna can free one from all kinds of distresses and pains of material existence, even in just one, one moment, just one syllable, you know, of the holy names can do that. Um, but that has to be at an extremely high level. And not everybody, not everybody is capable 
um, of controlling their minds to be able to chant um, at that, uh, you know, that level of purity uh, and intention. Um, and so we should not try to force devotees into that very limited option, uh, you know, that if you, want, if you have some mental disturbances, you should just chant until they go away. Um, right. Maybe we should rather encourage devotees and support them, just like we support devotees in many other ways for physical ailments. Um, we make all kinds of, you know, adjustments for devotees and, and things like that when, when they're sick or suffering or whatever it might be. And I think that right, right. Um, we should also have that kind of, you know, compassion. And, and if we're not experts in mental health, then that's okay. We should, you know, have a network of, of devotees that, uh, you know, maybe we can re reach out to, to, um, you know, get more information on, uh, you know, or to, you know, get a recommendation, you know, for someone else. Um, but rather than diagnosing them, if, if we're not actually an expert ourselves, I think that that could be, um, you know, potentially I, dangerous. I really like that point that Guruda Prabhu made as well, that if you don't know about something, don't try to become an expert on it without actually yeah. educating yourself or, 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 you know, just yeah. speaking just for the sake of speaking something that you don't know about, because that's right. could be, right. it could, it, it shows some type of like immaturity when, when you kind of just talk mm. about things that you don't know about, but yeah, I, lo I love that point too. Um, do you think that like in this program that you are hoping to develop, do you, so cows, let's, let's bring it back to cows. So does the, do you think that mental illness, some mental illnesses can be actually treated by being with cows? Absolutely. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's no doubt really? about it. Um, yeah, of course, there are uh, many different variables that need to be in place uh, for that real effect to be there. And I think just as it works with any other type of therapy animal, right? You know, so therapy horses or therapy dogs and so on that they have, which are trained animals, um, you know, to help facilitate a, a therapeutic process. Um, those animals are cared for and and loved uh, by their therapist and by their owner. And so naturally that can allow for some kind of exchange of affection between all of those parties. And unfortunately in the United States, the average lifespan for a dairy cow is 4.8 years um, because they are no longer useful for milk production at that point. Um, and so what we've done is we've commodified cows and we've removed ourselves from the, our own benefit um, that we would get from living with them in a peaceful and loving way. And so I certainly think that, um, you know, that devotees and I, I'm interested in myself, you know, maybe trying to um, uh, study and, and develop some kind of a procedure, a, a, you know, a bona fide therapeutic procedure. Uh, which would include the use of, you know, cows and, uh, you know, steers, uh, oxen, you know, the same, uh, both males and females, you know, in the therapeutic process. I'm certain that it could be, you know, researched. Um, there are organizations, equine therapy organizations, which are accredited and certified and so on. Um, and they have treatment modalities and books and all these kinds of things, you know, promoting um, equine therapy. So uh, definitely, I think uh, devotees should you know, also we can promote bovine assisted therapy, more reason to keep cows in the lives of human beings. I think it's extremely important. Um, it comes back also to this point of, of living in touch with nature, living harmoniously and close with nature. And when you have cows, um, that naturally 
you know, forces you to have so many other things along with it, um, which are necessary for a, you know, progressive and, uh, you know, fulfilling human life, I think. Uh, yeah. I, it's, it's very interesting what you said that to bring cows back into the, because it's so disconnected where we're so disconnected mm. as a society from, mm -hmm. from cows, from and cow, cows are, cows are ubiquitous. Uh, cows, cows are, you know, held, you know, in very, very high esteem. It's, you know, throughout African culture, um, you know, in, in many places in Africa, cows are, you know, seen as like, you know, currency, they're not, they're never slaughtered. Um, you know, especially, you know, from decades ago, things are obviously degrading continually. But, right. you know, I have friends who are devotees who, you know, are born in Africa and they tell me about these things. This, so this culture of, of cow protection and of valuing cows um, goes very, very deep in human civilization. And I think, it, you know, it also has a lot to do with what Prabhupada, you know, also said. You know, Prabhupada's books, you know, he's always often, you know, repeating this, that, you know, drinking milk, it nourishes the finer tissues of the brain. Mm. And, you know, I think for a long time, I'd read these things and they're like, finer tissues of the brain, you know, it's not so scientific, like, <laughs> where's the, you know, where are you, where's the, you know, what, what tissue, exactly which tissue is it, you know, I, I want to know. And yeah. uh, so I have this challenging mood in me. But, you know, it's, there are devotees, actually, I know devotees uh, that I've been staying with, actually, um, who has done years of research. Um, actually into the scientific reasonings of why nutrients within milk are so important for brain function, um, specifically a fatty acid called DHA. I don't want to spill the beans too much because this is this devotee's, you know, work, you know, this is what he does. Right. But, right. Um, you know, I, I will highly recommend if you really want to, you know, get somebody on your podcast to, to talk about, you know, milk and the finer tissues of the brain and all that, this devotee oh, will wow. blow your mind. But basically there's a nutrient in milk called DHA um, and milk, milk is the only real land source of DHA for human beings. Um, and DHA is this compound which scientists have shown actually comprises 25 to 40% of our brain matter. Wow. <laughs> so our, uh, the literal weight of our brain is built by this compound, which is really only found in uh, the tips of grasses, varieties of grasses, and it's also found in algae in the sea and so the cows are harvesting the dha and putting it in their milk and feeding it and we are you know actually you know becoming nourished mm -hmm. and i think it, it also comes down to you know if things go haywire right if things collapse look at what's happening in texas right now their electrical grid is you know potentially nearing total collapse and all these things um you know if you need to pr pr you know provide you and your family with food in a local a local system yeah. the only way that you're ever going to have a full diet um vegetarian full diet uh, and be completely healthy you have to have a cow uh, there's there's just no way around it i'm sorry to all the vegans wow. but you know if you if you want if you want to be a vegetarian and you want to live a local local diet where you don't bring in food from other places you will have to have a cow uh nutritionally mm. wow so, it's, it's it's very interesting um how much you know i, I i'm I, it's admi admirable that you're trying to bring cows back into the picture and 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 show examples from history as well like you're saying in africa they don't 
you know, years ago, they didn't slaughter them because right. they, they thought of it as a very valuable. It's very, not just a Hindu. It's not just a Hindu thing. It's not just a Vaishnav right. thing. It's a it's right. an under it's a ubiquitous understanding of this importance of cows and that they can be, you know, on every habitable continent. There are varieties of cows that can survive there and that, right. that humans can take care of and incorporate into their life. Right. Um, of want, course, it has to be done in a proper way. But yeah. Right. I want to make a little confession um, <laughs> about um, something that that uh, that uh, relates to cows. When I was trying to get a job some years ago, um, I wasn't able to get a job. Like I, I would go into interviews and I wasn't able to do it. So a friend of mine told me, have you thought of making a donation to the cows? Mm. And and he and I was like, no. Well, why? What do you? Why? He said, if you make a donation to the cows, they you will get a return, <laughs> like like you won't imagine. And I was like, really? Like, should I do that? Like, okay, let me just try do that. So I so I went on this interview. I was like in the last round of interviews, <laughs> and I and I was like, okay, I'm gonna give like 108 dollars to Gita Nagri. So or or it must have been or something. I made this donation, okay, and I got the job. Okay, I got the job. Big deal. Like it's just uh, you know, it's just um, coincidence or something. Sure, just just chance, just chance. Just chance, right? <laughs> but listen, listen to this. I did that for like the next four jobs, and I got the job every single time. <laughs> the donation. And my devotee, who's a good friend of mine, said, "There you go. You give donation to the cows. You you maintain the cows, and they will give back to you." Have you don't test, you don't test Krishna on your next job though. <laughs> I know. It's not the best motivation, you know. It's kind of no, a, no, no, no. I, I mean, keep giving to the cows and Krishna will keep right. giving it to you. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Have you have you heard any connection between like wealth and cows and like prosperity or something like that? Well, I mean, that's all over our scriptures, right? I mean, I actually I also I also wrote a short um, little blurb for our Gitanagri newsletter some time ago. You know, of course, I come from a Christian family. My my mom's side of the family is Catholic, and my dad's side is Protestant. Um, and so, grew up with a lot of Christian Judeo values, and read the Bible myself. You know, multiple times, and so on. And so, you know, in the in the Old Testament, what's the theme that you hear about? Right, a lamb flowing with milk and honey. Right, these these. Right. you know, symbols of prosperity and of abundance. And of course, in our scriptures, the explanations are even more abundant that, you know, actually, and Prabhupada's quotes, of course, always saying real wealth is land and cows. And I think it comes back to this kind of point that we've been really, you know, talking about when, when it comes down to it at the end of the day, how are you going to feed yourself and your family? <laughs> you know? How are you going to, and, and, and beyond that, how are you going to maintain your land in such a way that it will remain productive and, and healthy so that your children will be able to continue growing food on it for themselves and the future and their children and so on and so on. And cows, I mean, there is so much new research going on um, today about regenerative agriculture and the use of um, cows um, in regenerating uh, pasture land and regenerating, you know, uh, areas of land that have been beaten down by monocropping or whatever it might be, um, you know, by by intentional grazing programs and using the cow manure, you know, naturally and their grazing cycles, you know, they they stomp the manure into the ground with their feet as they trample it and it nourishes. They they eat grasses and they contain the seeds and then they you know plant those grasses as they you know evacuate while they're 
you know, walking along the forest. So, you know, uh, I think it's, you know, that's something that's definitely become very clear to me in my time at Gita Nagari that, yeah, actually real wealth is definitely in land and having cows um, and being able to, you know, have, have a, have a, you know, if it's not a full sense of sustainability and self-sufficiency, that's a very lofty goal. It's, it, you know, full mm. self-sufficiency and so on. And it may not yeah. be very practical, except in a few rare um, circumstances. Um, but, you know, there is a lot of, you know, room, you know, between where <laughs> most of us are and that very lofty goal, you know, that we could make some serious, you know, progress towards and, you know, live a prosperous, you know, you know, thriving life for ourselves, which isn't going to mean having the latest technology and having, you know, big numbers in your bank account and being able to travel all the time and all that kind of stuff like these kind of modern, uh, you know, uh, leisures, you know, that we kind of consider it as the, you know, great pleasures. Because of course, if you have cows, you know, it's like having children, you know, you can't just leave your kids at home you until see like <laughs> go to go to the uk or something and you know come up, see, we'll see you in two weeks you know right, it's like right. they, they require responsibility and, and and dedication so it's definitely a trade-off there but i think that you know what people will find as they reflect you know the modicum of happiness that's provided by these kind of transient you know experiential pleasures and the development of a life of value and meaning um, that happens when you're, you know, living uh, close to nature, when you're, you know, maybe taking a piece of land that, you know, it was in bad shape and you, you, you devote your life to, to regenerating it and to building it up so that your children can, you know, experience it and live off of it. And, you know, there's just so much, you know, unlimited potential um, that mm. comes when you, when you have those kinds of resources at your disposal, you know, something to do with. It's really like, it's like your own piece of the world, you know, to do something with. And, that's uh, that's interesting know, what you were saying about, um, about not leave it, like not leaving, you know, the cows are, are, are like a chill, like children basically and leaving them and travel and, and all these other, like you were saying, leisures, those things are hard to give up for people. Like yeah. people, sometimes they live for that. They live for the bank, you know, the big bank balance. They live for going to places on vacation, things like that. But this type of life that you're speaking of is, is, is a very different type of life. And it seems like it will not be realistic for a lot of people, but it is in the mode of goodness, I would say, so much more than just trying to you know, your work for the, you work for, you know, some percentage of your life for a paycheck, you're trading your time for money, essentially. And so living on a farm or farming or, 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 or that kind of uh, lifestyle, I would say is, is, I would say that's in my opinion, superior, because you are actually working for your own existence and the existence of your family, you're right. working the land you're working the cows and things like that i i find that so attractive to be honest for someone who's who works has been working a nine-to-five job since like 2012 i i find that extremely attractive because i mean my wife tells me you know you wouldn't be able to do it you can't run a farm or anything you you know you get tired you know, just sitting on a desk all day but but i think um i think it's it's worth a shot i i would love to do it um and it's inspiring to hear what you're saying regarding that you know it's it's 
in this day and age where things are so people are so distracted, people are so mentally like disturbed and everything, this kind of like very like agrarian lifestyle is attractive. And I think people mm. are becoming more and more attractive as time goes on. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, everybody has to go and be a big farmer. You know, you don't have to go out and be, you know, and make it your, your, your income source, even, you know, to go and be a big farmer. But, you know, I tell you what, the square foot of a square footage of a house in Tawako, New Jersey, <laughs> uh, the price per square foot, you know, wow. compared to what it is in Juniata County, Pennsylvania, in an area where there are other devotees who are farming and are taking care of cows. You know, yeah. there, maybe, maybe you, maybe you can find a way to. What I'm interested in is, you know, not that everybody has to go out and be a farmer because that's not for everybody. You know, it's laborious. It's it's a very laborious, you know, work uh, to do that. Yeah. And it's not everybody is has the even the physical capacity, you know, just to do that. What to speak of the financial capacity to start it up and you have to invest and the profit margins are very low um, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, but what we might be able to do is develop like, you know, a, a more of a village concept, you know, that there are devotees. We, we're living in this area. We have, you know, a temple and deities that we're all devoted to. And there are devotees who farm, you know, some devotees have their little project where they're growing, you know, some varieties of vegetables. Some devotees have a few cows and they're providing some, you know, milk for the community and do it, you know, and all those kinds of things. And maybe there's a devotee who practices mental health care or whatever it might be, who also lives in, you know, so on and so on. And you can build this village, you know, concept, you know, where we're working towards something local and communal, you know, but at the same time, we have our individual space, we have our families, we have our property, you know, and that kind of thing, and, we have, and therefore our independence as well. So, you know, I think that, you know, this is not not only something that devotees, you know, are looking at and should be looking at, but I think people in general, especially the way that things have gone over the course of the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, um, you know, prices in the countryside are going up, you know, property prices and things like that. Uh, people are understanding that, you know, just like you're thinking about now that, you know what, I don't feel as secure as I feel, you know, living in a city. You know, I don't feel that my access to food and water and community and so on is as secure as I thought it was. And so, you know, it's a, it's, it's a really, you know, nice opportunity, like I said, to see there's a big spectrum between, you know, what, we're, what we might be doing right now and, you know, full self-sufficiency off the grid and all that. Not everybody has to go and do that, but there might be something that you can do, you know, maybe you just like you, like maybe your backyard, you just grow some tomatoes in your backyard and let your kids experience what it's like, you know, to plant seeds in the ground and grow vegetables and then cook them, you know, that that's awesome. Like, that's so great, you know, so you know, it's not an all or nothing thing at all, um, you know, but, you know, these, these kinds of, you know, activities, you know, of, you know, which are not not artificial you know i think we 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 become a little bit too used to interfacing with synthetic environments you know and um it's uh it's there's actually been quite a bit of research on what's what people call nature deficit disorder <laughs> which is you know basically mm. children and people yeah children and people living their lives in separation from nature um not having you know interaction with the natural environment with other animals and so on just living in this very artificial, uh, you know, world, um, it causes problems, all kinds of problems, you know, and sometimes people don't realize it until they're, until they're older. Um, so, you know, I think it's really, you know, 
important, you know, to, to remember that we're human beings, we're a part of nature, like, you know, Krishna designed us to exist, you know, in a harmonious, non-antagonistic non way, um, you know, with the environment in which we exist. So. Wow. I, I was I was listening I was I, I heard a conversation by Srila Prabhupada. It was reading it. And devotees were asking him about this very thing, like, what is the solution? And he was talking about localization. Like like you were saying, like it should be like um I don't have to like he was giving the example of when people work, like he was saying how one person he goes to the office and the office is like a, you know three hours airplane away and he goes there and he comes back uh and his children doesn't know who he that he the that <laughs> the mother who is this man who leaves you know leaves before I go to sleep you know uh, right. before I, I wake up home you know after right. I go to bed you know did right. and then he was saying how the currency should be grains because gr mm -hmm. you know, grains are something like tangible and real and really yeah. valuable too if you get hungry <laughs> you know like you can't eat yeah. like dollars or these like gold <laughs> gold is just a currency in the olden times as well but yeah. grains is like a, a real currency and he was talking about localization that if you want to go see your friend, you don't go like five hours away to go see your friend. You just go down the street with your with your ox cart, and there's your friend. You know, everyone has, and that creates a certain like um, ease of life instead of like this kind of life we've created right now. Where yes, my job is you know an hour away in the car on you know right. on the turnpike, and my friend lives five hours away, and I go to see him, and I'm you know using all this fossil fuel, and I'm using all this energy to go see him, and when when it actually he can be like right next door if we localized everything yeah and so i think that's a beautiful thing uh that will take some time i feel to get there yeah. but but um i mean that that's fascinating to me the only thing i was i'll be honest the only thing about pennsylvania that that i don't like is the weather mm. because a lot of the a lot of the time is cold um mm. now do you experience do you experience that you can't grow certain things Sometimes, like, is there a time where it's like completely paused, like the growing? We do have a, you know, a growing season. Uh, now, you can extend the growing season by using high tunnels, greenhouses, you know, things like that. You heat, you can heat them, and you can, you can, you know, grow things uh, earlier in the year. Uh, I would say, without the use of greenhouses and high tunnels and so on, your growing season is going to look like, you know, from April to October. Um, which is, you know, about a six-month growing season. Um, mm -hmm. Now, you would start propagating probably a bit earlier than that, probably February or March you start propagating. But right. if you were using heated high tunnels um, and maybe growing, you know, winter-hardy vegetables, um, you could certainly grow some things, you know, um, you know, as late as November and December um, and get things started as early again as, like, early February. Um, so, you know, the growing season can definitely be extended, but yeah, don't, don't, don't expect to be harvesting, you know, hundreds of pounds, you know, in the middle of January, it's not likely, but, um, you know, my experience in Pennsylvania, I'm, I, I, you know, I grew up in Tampa, Florida and then Las Vegas, I have like practically, you know, no experience of living in a cold environment. Um, I personally have found the winters to be pretty bearable, um, you know, in Gitanagari, um, you know, the snow when we get it and the cold, it's usually pretty short-lived, but maybe it's just because we're so busy you don't notice it. 
Right, right. <laughs> for, for, for Gita Nagri, like be having three hundred something acres. I know you're you're not like a you're not like the highest up manager there, but I I think maybe like could you speak maybe to like what if someone wanted to come there, like someone like me, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to live on, I don't want to live with like, for lack of better phrase like someone breathing down my neck and telling me what to do could 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 i like buy like 10 or 20 acres from gitanagi and be like okay i'm just gonna live in the farm but i'm just gonna live mm. here and i'm gonna get to do my own thing because i bought this land from you because you got so much land like 300 mm. something acres is so much is mm. that a possibility or is that or or does that not work like maybe with iskon bylaws or something like that well, yeah, I mean, the most, the shortest answer is no, it's not possible because of ISKCON bylaws. There has been, you know, back in the day, actually, Gidanagri used to be 700 acres. Um, really? It, yeah, so it would actually gotten, you know, kind of parceled off, um, you know, during some difficult times, I think, in right. previous I, decades. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and so I think that, you know, the GBC kind of made that resolution that, okay, no more selling ISKCON property. If you buy ISKCON property, you can't sell it anymore. Um, I so I don't think that option would necessarily like work, um, but um, I think there are plenty of options. I mean, if you just wanted to buy 10 acres, you know, nearby Gitanagri, I'm sure you can find somewhere. Um, you know, there there are properties, you know, that go up. Yeah, of course, it's a, you know, population is less condensed, so there's less parcels, so pop properties don't go for sale as often. But, you know, right. if you made it an intention, maybe that within like three years, I'd like to start transitioning, you know, to this, you know, kind of place or whatever it might be. I'm sure that you could, you know, you know, keep keep an eye on, you know, properties and see what comes up and find something that would work for you, um, you know, and uh, yeah. Yeah, otherwise, you know, Gidanagri has, you know, different options for, you know, devotees who want to stay and like live and serve full time. Um, but, you know, if you're if you're wanting to buy your own little, you know, parcel, which I think is definitely the best, you know, idea. Um, there are there are so many beautiful little properties that come up, you know, perfect for like a homestead um, environment. And oftentimes, mm -hmm. like they already have structures on them, you know, that maybe have a little cow shed or you know something like that. You know, so you might even find something that's, you know, ready to go for what you need. Yeah, I'm sorry to my yeah. listeners. I'm just taking advantage of KG Martin for this. Uh, <laughs> well, I used to be a real estate agent too, you know, so I can. Really? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Another question. Another question. What about water? Like, I'm yeah. I'm just thinking about the things that I rely on on for other other people. Like, what about water? Like, is there, like, would you like dig a well or how does that work? Like, in when you want to yeah. do it self sufficiently. Rural areas generally have well water um, because you're not connected to like a municipal uh, water system. Right. Um, so generally speaking, you know, property, I mean, if somebody was living on it before, it's going to have a well already on it. Um, and uh, we, we, we're pretty blessed, um, at least with, uh, you know, the well water at Gitanagri is, you know, very good, um, you know, very high quality water and comes out, you know, and plentifully. We have a pretty high water table. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we have great water. I think that's awesome too. You know, like I remember growing up and, um, you know, sometimes we would get, um, hurricanes in Tampa and sometimes when hurricanes come, they have to shut the water off because there's sometimes disturbances with like flooding and all kinds of, you know, problems. And that was such a headache, you know, can you imagine having, having to, you know, manually turn your water off or for a drought season or all that kind of stuff. But no, man, you get a little property of your own, put a well on the ground yeah. as much as you can. <laughs> You can take as many baths as you want. Well, it's so it's so tempting. I'm really, really tempted, you know, to yeah. uh, to, to to work towards that because it it's just, liberating. Really? Yeah, it is liberating. You know, to 
you know, you you have all the things that you need. You know, they're 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 yours. You have them. You know. Yes. You know, even your even even your sewage. You know, your your you know, your rural properties. They're not connected to you know, um, you know, you know, municipal, you know, sewer, you know, stuff, you have septic and, you know, so it's like your property is like your self-contained, you know, uh, unit. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm attracted to the idea. Right. Right. Wow. Here, let's look at, let's look at the questions and comments here. Um, so we have a lot of comments, a lot of, um, appreciation, uh, for, for what the, for the, what this discussion, uh, how's it, how it's going. Um, uh, let's see here. Okay, here's a question. I think we addressed this sort of. Uh, it can be a big leap going from city life to fully living off the land. Are there any baby steps you might re recommend to help one interested in that direction? Let's elaborate on that. I know you you addressed that. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be different for you know devotees, of, you know, according to what your situation is. But you know, I think you know what's kind of at the crux of what I'm suggesting to devotees and to people in general also. I think this is a, you know, like I said, this is kind of a crisis for humanity. Um, this, you know, really intense, you know, separation from, from, from nature. Um, so, I mean, whatever you can, whatever you can do to start, um, you know, growing something. If you can, if you live in an apartment, you know, put a little, herb garden on your windowsill or something like that, or mm. volunteer at a community garden. Maybe there's, if you live in a very urban environment, there might be a, a community garden, or you can start one with a community. If there's devotees, maybe there you can try starting like a little community garden. Um, when it comes to cows, especially, you know, I think, you know, devotees, you know, I've, you know, having you know, lived at Edenagri for five years now, and, you know, um, we have to work pretty hard to maintain the project, you know, to, to bring in income. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. And, um, I know that it's, uh, uh, something that devotees really, really appreciate, you know, that, uh, they're getting milk from these protected cows. Totally. And I know that, I know that devotees, more devotees would like that access to be available to more and more people. Um, so, you know, if, if you can't start a project, if you can find devotees who are trying to, you know, do something, um, to promote cow protection um, in the way that really Prabhupada defined it. You know, Prabhupada defined cow protection as having cows who are producing milk and working oxen. He said, those are the two halves. You have to have both of them. And so, you know, trying to find devotees who are at least motivated to, you know, try and, um, you know, reach that um, uh, instruction and meet, meet Prabhupada's desire. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, there's there's so many different ways uh, devotees are just introducing a bit more of uh, of nature in their life, of growing their own food and and so on. And maybe make a plan for yourself if it's not something that you can do right now or within the next couple of years. But maybe maybe ten years from now it might be a possibility, you know. And 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 set an set an intention that you know what that actually I do I do see the value of maybe simplifying my life a little bit and even reducing some of the leisures and modern conveniences that I might have to access the, you know, greater value of, you know, living off the land and being connected to the land. Wonderful. Wonderful. Wow. Very, very well put. Thank you so much. Here's our, here's our friend, Patrika. Of course, it's liberating. What do you think? <laughs> this is, uh, exactly. For those of you who don't know Patrick, he, he actually has done this USDA uh, buying property, like as well as uh, Keishi Mardan Prabhu. Yeah. You got to have him on. 
He's done it in Wisconsin. He, does, yeah. he has three boys. He lives there with his wife, and he has four or five cows. He grows a lot of things. You can follow him on Facebook. Um, uh, he has a farm page as well, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can put it in the comments, Patrick or Babu. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, he, you know, he does it. It's, it's amazing. I love it. I, 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 love, I, I keep bugging him. Put more posts on mm -hmm. online about you working with the cows and you mm – -hmm growing stuff and like we yeah. would love to see it because it, it's very inspiring um mm. so big shout out there what to is, what is speak of with his children you know how valuable of an experience you know that yes. that is you know for the children yes. you know i can't i can only imagine you know how what they're going to how they're going to reminisce about their childhood you know in 25 oh, years yeah. from now and think about how valuable it was that their you know family you know saw um you know to bring cows and and living off the land into their life and do something different you know <laughs> He was telling me, he was telling me he has so much milk. He doesn't even know what to do with it. Like, how, how, much, how much can you turn into paneer and cheese? You know, like, I got too much. That, that, oh, that is so amazing. That's like real wealth. And I think yeah. that's just fantastic. Like, What's more crazy. wealthy for a devotee than just having freezers full of paneer? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. He, he says, follow us at Tyra of a Farm. You can find that on Facebook. There's another question here. Uh, can you talk more about oxen training? Are devotees in Gitanargi mm -hmm. engaged in that? Are devotees willing to train other devotees who are interested? A little bit about Karuna Sindhu, uh, Nitai Gore. He, he, Prabhu, he lives in um, Michigan at the near Atlante, mm. uh, and they have a farm there. Wow. And you have a number of cows, and he works with the cows there. So uh, he, he he's asking about that. Can you can you uh, speak on that a little bit? Well, yeah, nice to meet you via podcast, Karuna Sindhu Prabhu. Thanks for thanks for the question. I'm uh, I'm glad you asked it actually because that's that's my main service. One of my main services at the farm is actually training the oxen wow. and working with them. And um, so so yeah, I'm extremely interested in in working with the oxen. And you know, we do we we haven't you know like you know, fully transitioned to ox power or anything grand like that. But, you know, we do some logging and some, you know, some light uh, field work and pulling carriages with, you know, tours around the farm and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a very solid grasp of, you know, the fundamentals of ox training and also the psychology behind animal training and animal behavior uh, in general. Um, and so I'm, I'm very inspired and encouraged to uh, teach other devotees about ox training. I actually learned from an organization which is not far from Karuna Sindhu Prabhu to Learners International. So, you know, if you don't want to come all the way to Pennsylvania, you know, Kalamazoo is not too far away from Ypsilanti. Um, and they have a really nice uh, program for, for training often there. I was, um, you know, at least if the, you know, people who are running the program are the same as those when I went there. But I was very, you know, pleasantly surprised at how, you know, compassionate and, um, you know, gentle they were with the with the animals and um, very consistent and um, very methodical uh, program. Um, get a lot of hands-on experience there. So I would definitely recommend, you know, looking at their their courses. They, they offer in-person courses that you can go to and actually learn how to how to work in there. So um, otherwise, uh, if we ever, you know, connect, I'm, I'm happy to to share whatever information I have. Sure. He says, thank you. Nice to meet you. Let's connect. And he said, I went to Tillers as well. Is that the, is that a place? Oh, great. Okay, cool. Yeah. You yeah guys Tillers International. That's that word. Oh, Tillers. Okay. Okay. Uh, here's another question. Are cows a source of Lakshmi or do they require donations? I'm not sure what that's asking. Maybe you can, Radharaman Prabhu, you can clarify. 
KG Martin Barino, you know what he's asking? Uh, well, I, I could be cheeky and answer it from like a Shastrik way, <laughs> but uh, no, no, the, uh, the, uh, the cows at Gita Nagri, I think is what he means is, is the, is the cow program at Gita Nagri, the milk of the cows is it oh, I see. basically oh, I see. Okay. funding them. I think that's what the question sounds like. Maybe, um, you know, uh, so at Gita Nagari, the, the cows and the, the milk production from the cows uh, does financially, uh, it financially sustains the cow program. Uh, okay. It doesn't sustain the entire farm operation, um, but we designed it such that the, the cows and their calves, the repaired cows, are all going to be maintained by the funds that are um, raised, well, basically the income from the sales of the Differently, um, some of these have different, um, you know, profitable models um, for doing a hymns and milk. Um, I haven't seen anyone who's, you know, put it into to action. But um, for for us, I don't agree. The mood is is much more that this is a, a lifestyle um, that's, you know, based on an exchange of of love and reciprocation. Um, so although maybe we could charge more and make a larger profit or something like that, it's not really our like motivation. Um, as right. a nonprofit, you know, we're really just trying to encourage um, an alternative. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, here's another question uh, from Gene Farrow. Where would be the best place to purchase a cow? Get a calf or an ex-dairy cow or what? How to start off? Good question. Well, before you get a cow, you better have some land because the cows right. need some land. And, uh, you know, I think that devotees, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the devotees, you know, have... I've gotten many requests, let's put it this way. I've gotten many requests from different devotees similar to this, you know, over the years. Like, we want to get some cows. How do how do we do it? How do, where do, where do we start? Can we get one of your cows? Will you sell us one? <laughs> you know, so wow. um, obviously we don't sell any of our cows. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, so what I always caution people, in, you know, who are interested in getting a cow is that you should, make sure that you are fully prepared for the lifestyle commitment that is going to be incumbent upon you as the caretaker of one of Krishna's cows. Uh, um, and uh, so that has to be really uh, at the, the forefront of your, of your understanding of your, of your motivation. Uh, and then of course, the other details will follow. Um, you need a piece of land. Is the land productive? Um, will you have to buy hay to feed the cow or are you going to grow your own feed? You know all those all those kinds of things. Are you going to milk the cow? Um, uh, how are you going to How are you going to milk it? Are you going to milk it by hand? Or are you going to use a machine? You know all those kinds of you know things and and the different facilities you know that you might need um, you know should be first put into consideration before you start looking for a cow to buy. I think um, now if you already have all that, maybe you already own a piece of you know rural land. Maybe you have other animals, horses, or whatever, and you just want to get a cow now. I think that makes things a little more simple. Um, and therefore, I would just, if you're at that stage and you're ready to just buy a cow and looking where to start, I would say look locally, um, you know, or and, and research um, if there's a particular type of breed of cow that you're interested in. Some cows produce larger volumes of milk. Some cows produce uh, fattier milk. Um, some cows, you know, have different you know, features and, and so on. So you may, you know, you may want to, you know, consider that. Um, otherwise, if you're just really wanting to rescue a cow, um, I'm sure that there are commercial dairies um, in the area um, or uh, animal sanctuaries <clears throat> in your area uh, that you could contact. 
um, who would help you connect with a cow that you know just needs a home uh, maybe. Um, but uh, if you're looking for like a dairy cow, then yeah, you should put some consideration into what are the variables that you're looking for. Briefly, can you explain, this is a question from me, uh, about species, like what species do you have at Gita Nagri? What, and, and would you have that species for a certain mm -hmm. reason? Like do they get more milk or what is, what's that all about? You're, you're cutting out. Yeah, um, we have what are called American Brown Swiss cows. So they're originally from Swiss. Oops, sorry. Um, we have what are called American Brown Swiss cows. And um, they're originally from the Swiss Alps. Um, and uh, they're, they're one of the most common um, dairy cows in the country. They're second to the Holstein cows, which are like those black and white cows, which you usually see. Um, Holstein cows are known for producing the highest volume of milk. So they can produce 10 to 12 gallons of milk a day, um, which is a lot of milk. Um, and so, however, the fattiness, the creaminess uh, of the milk is not so high. Um, so a lot of folks and what devotees here, they did when they started Gitanagari is they got brown Swiss cows there produce a fairly high volume of milk, um, is extremely high in cream content and fat content and very, very nutritious and delicious. And the brown Swiss cows are also very docile, um, very um, affectionate and very easy to work with. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that uh, the devotees, they, they, they chose those cows and Prabhupada was actually very pleased. You know, he said they were very beautiful cows. And and what is this? What is this thing that people say about like A one, A two, and all this stuff? I've heard devotees say things like, "Oh, these mm. uh, these American cows are not like what what you know. They're not the cows that we are meant to protect, or something like that. They're meant to protect only these daisy cows that have like the hump on their back and things like that." Like, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, mm. Prabhupada is the one who kind of like established cow protection in in you know Yurandavan initially with that one cow they had whose name was like Kali or something like that and it was a black it was also a black like Swiss cow or something like that but can you can you speak a little bit about that like hmm. the, the type of milk well I mean if there are devotees who you know feel like you know only certain breeds of cow should be protected I think that that's okay everyone is entitled to their opinion but you know, Prabhupada's opinion was that these cows are just as much cows as any other cows, um, right. and their milk is fit to be offered to Radha Krishna deities and to, you know, be used to nourish the bodies of the devotees. So um, for me, there's not really much further that I have to, you know, look for as an answer to that. But um, yeah, I mean, the as far as A1 and A2 goes, my understanding um, is that there are two proteins, these A1 and A2 proteins, um, which are present in the milk of cows. Um, generally speaking, all cows have a ratio of these two proteins. Um, and in certain breeds of cows, that ratio tends to be much higher for A1 or for A2. And generally speaking, Holstein cows, Jersey cows, and other European cow breeds tend to have a higher level of the A1 protein um, in, their, in their milk, which is associated with some um, health disorders and illnesses and things like that. Um, and so some people are looking for A2 milk. Um, now, in the research that I've done um, uh, as far as A1 and A2 um, has shown that round Swiss cows are the only European breed of um, cows um, which actually produce a ratio which is higher in A2 than A1. Um, there is some A1 protein in the milk, but the A2 protein is in a much higher ratio. 
that's as far as my knowledge really goes on that. Um, I've been drinking Gidanagari for five years, Gidanagari milk for the last five years, and I feel great. So <laughs> and I don't think I'll ever drink any other milk. Really wonderful. I mean, I, I buy the, we buy, we buy the, uh, the Gitanagri milk. We're subscribed to it and we absolutely, absolutely love it. It's like gold to us. Honestly, it is like every drop. There's we're nothing just like, like it. Yeah. There's nothing, there is nothing <laughs> like it. The booties were listening. Try to get your hands on some kind of ahimsa milk and just like see the difference. It's, a, it's amazing. Uh, Karuna Sindhu, yeah, uh, follow up Yeah. How much land would you require per cow? From my experience, calling Montville, New Jersey uh, township, one acre. But Prabhu, you tell, you tell me. Yeah, so this question is going to relate to what you plan on doing, you know, with the cows. And so if you want to do what I would consider based on my experience, you know, like a more proper you know, cow protection and land management program, um, you're going to want to consider how fertile and productive the land that your cows will be residing on is. Um, and you should contact your local, um, if you're in the United States, you'll have a USDA Natural, Re Natural Resources Conservation Service office um, somewhere in your area, probably in your county or something like that, especially if you're in a farm kind of area. Um, and they can actually help you to determine um, based on the soil type uh, of your land. They can help you draw up a soil map um, so you can actually understand, you know, about what kind of yield you can expect from that parcel of land. And, you know, based on the yield, um, you're going to be able to determine a little bit more accurately how many cows you could put on, on, that, on that land. Um, now, that being said, the one acre per cow, I think, is a little misleading. I think that that's probably what your um, local governance requires. That's their minimum. Right. Um, right. But I don't think that actually one acre per cow in many places is going to be sufficient um, to uh, actually, you know, be a sustainable program, a long-term program. Um, oh. You know, we're, we're, we're finding, you know, at Gitanagri, Although the, the recommendation for our area is also about like that one to one and a half acres per cow. Uh, but we're seeing that actually with, you know, the frequency of inclement weather and droughts and things like that, um, you know, it's much better to have a bit more of a, a, bit, a buffer, you know. And so, you know, two and a half to three acres per cow, maybe more, um, you know, it might be more suitable uh, depending on how productive uh, the land is there. So you, you should do all that, you know, that, that research and, and, and work with the NRCS. They're, they're very interested in helping farmers to build a more sustainable land management program to avoid the long-term effects of improper farming practices and so on. Wow, fantastic. I was just thinking when you were speaking how when I come to get the pick up the milk for the temple, sometimes I just look out into the to the hills and I see the cows walk. It's so and the sun is there and a beautiful blue Pennsylvania sky. And I just like this is so nourishing, so much better than suburban or city. It's like you can actually practice Krishna consciousness peacefully, and your mind is just so uh, peaceful and tranquil. It's just like I'm just thinking about it. I'm feeling. Yeah. Like it's yeah, fun. you can come and you could just sit, you know, you can just sit and you have this panoramic view that will just fill yes. your soul, you know, and it's completely free. <laughs> it's, free. it's completely Beautiful. free. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah. 
uh, here's another question. Do you, um, I assume that he said, do you sell or do you actually create milk products like ghee and other product, cow urine, and also cow dung for yagyas? Do you produce that at Kitanagri? Yeah. We produce a variety of milk products. Uh, for sale, we only produce whole milk products. So we do like whole milk cheeses and whole milk, fluid milk, of course, um, and yogurt. Um, to produce cream products like ghee and butter um, and cream itself um, requires a bit more uh, equipment, which is unfortunately very expensive as most equipment for small farms is like practically impossible to find because small farms are becoming extinct. Um, so those those mm. pieces of equipment that you would need for small batches of, you know, cream and so on are, are difficult to find. So we only do um, those whole milk products, except for the deities. We make small batches of butter and ghee for the deities. Oh, really? That's really cool. And like now, oh, and cow dung we do too. Cow, yeah, sorry, cow dung. Cow dung we also do. You know, we we sell we sell cow dung patties as well. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, do you hire workers? Are you able to maintain the program with volunteer devotional service? Thank you for all the inspiring projects that you have been working on. Yeah, I'm, I'm not in the really in the human resources department at Gidanagri. Um, you know, so if you're interested in, you know, maybe some kind of an employment opportunity, I would definitely say, you know, to reach out, you can you can connect with me and I can connect with connect you with the right person. Um, uh, as far as you know how we're how we're doing the program right now, we have a blend. We have a blend mostly of volunteer, um, uh, you know, devotees and uh, residents, and and also we have a quite a large uh, <laughs> a workforce of volunteer university students um, who are also helping out with a variety of things on the farm. Um, so so yeah, we're 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 doing all right in that way. But we do have also opportunities for for devotees who maybe need you know some financial you know support. So reach out and, and we'll see if there's something that can work for everyone. Thank you. Okay. I don't want to be one who brings negative topic, but I did hear that Geats and Argan milk was more supported by non-devotees than devotees just because the milk is a bit more expensive. I'm mentioning it because if it is true, I think it is a good time to mention that helping devotees who are taking care of cows and paying a little bit more for the milk, that is ahimsa is very important. I, I guess she's asking for clarification. Is this true or not? Um, I don't think that the numbers would uh, break down that way. Um, the majority of our milk is being sent to the regional Iskand communities. That's what I thought, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, uh, I yeah, I don't know the exact numbers, to be quite okay. honest, because it's, it's not, my, not my portfolio, but I would say the, definitely the majority of the milk is, is going to regional Iskand centers like New Jersey yeah. and D.C. and yes. uh, the Bhakti Center and so on. Um, but uh, but yeah yeah we're we try to also you know focus on first providing milk to the devotees and the devotee communities um, right. you know because that's also what Prabhupada's vision was. Right, zebu cows versus western cows as a himsa dairy cows. I believe we address this that it's either. Uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, yeah. Anyways, I'm not sure about zebu cows um, so much. I don't know if those are milked very often. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know if he's asking for a hierarchy or what. I think the hierarchy is ahimsa first and then uh, and then whatever is going to be the best for your um, situation. You know, if you're maybe maybe you have access to, you know, uh, Indian cows who don't produce very much milk because um, their production is significantly less, but they're also smaller and they consume less resources. So maybe that maybe you don't need a cow who you know, produces five or seven gallons of milk per day. Maybe you just need a, a couple liters a day. And so in that situation, you know, maybe a, maybe a desi cow or, you know, one of these 
um, smaller cows would be better for you. Right, right. Uh, do you think as a herd animal, a single cow would be happy to live by itself? No, she, cows have to have other cows. So yeah. if you have one cow, it means you must have two. Um, so, so yes. I mean, of course, if you want to milk a cow, she has to have a baby. Um, so if you have a cow and her calf, you, know, you have two cows. Uh, but, you know, definitely a cow needs to have a, a companion. Right. Great. Okay. Um, any other questions? Okay. Here's a question, personal question from my friend Matura. One question for Namras. <laughs> what would it take you for Tulsi to move closer to Gita Nagri? Oh, gosh. Matura, I've been thinking about it so much. I've been Put telling him on the spot. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's go. I need to, I need to, I need to get some land. I need to grow some grain. I need to have a few cows. I need to get off my butt and, and Ooh, stop sitting you. on sitting on this chair and working for someone else and trading my time for money. Uh, I don't know. Do it. We'll you can on. do it. <laughs> I, I feel inspired. I, that knowing you, Keshi Mardan Prabhu, I, I I feel like I have someone who could guide me in if I wanted to do that. And I. I think <laughs> I think we should have more resources for devotees who want to do that, who want to take that plunge. There's no resources, really. There's just like, okay, Srila Prabhupada said this and that, but let's like practically lay it out. What do you need? Yeah. You need this amount of land. You need to figure out where you're going to get your hay. You need to figure out where, uh, you know, where you get your seeds and your, and your dirt and the soil and how you're going to work it the best and this and that. Like you need, we need to like kind of uh, infrastructure for getting yeah. devotees. Yeah. Hey, Prabhu, you know, you don't have to do it all at once either. You know, you just, you know, take, take one, take one step at a time, get your land, you know, get situated on your land, you know, get peaceful and then build a cow shed and get a cow. And then, you know, you just yes. naturally and organically go and you'll, yeah. you'll find it so nice. Yeah. Short version. I'm, 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 I'm thinking about it in the next few years. I, I want to, I think because... our winters are easier than your winters. I have to be, I have really? to be honest. I'm pretty sure we, I think so. I think so. You guys got that New York, you know, Eastern <laughs> seaboard, you know, kind of snow. We, you know, I don't think we get it that bad. That's true. So I, what I, is, I, I think you'll find that a winter's here pretty good. What's your growing zone there in um, Juanita County? I think six, I think. Six. I six. think we're in zone six. Oh, okay. I think. Okay. I think we're like, something a little bit up than that, like colder. Anyways, yeah, you're right. Um, thank you. Uh, okay, thank you. I take it the cows are happy and thriving, giving milk. Yeah, they run a huge, huge yeah, commercial dairy going in Gita Nagari. It's amazing. Well, you should really not huge, it. huge, but it's huge for Hare Krishnas. It's huge for yeah. the Hare Krishnas. <laughs> you know, it's great, you know. And I think also it's important, too, that we're not huge. I think that's, that's, that's intentional. And I think that devotees should 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 also you know con consider that very you know specifically like we're talking about bringing things communally and locally and taking care of you know this area first and then what can we do beyond that you know mm. um, but uh, but yeah we have twenty milking cows on the farm right now about uh, thereabouts and uh, yeah many of them um, are cows that have been giving milk for five six seven years since the last time they had a calf you know their calves are like big grown animals <laughs> you know and they're still producing you know you know four or five gallons of milk a day so so 20 20 milking cows but then you have cows that are, are they're also right
Right. Yeah, we have a few herds. You know, we have uh, the retired uh, milking cows, you know, the old old mamas, <laughs> and you know, old boys, old boys as well. And then we have kind of like the younger cows who are dry um, that may get milked in the future, um, but uh, you know, they're not actively milking. Right. Okay. Oh, it's interesting. Mm. It's very interesting. Yeah. 85, 85 cows in total. So 85 in total and 20 of them wow. are milking. Amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Here's from uh, one of our previous guests, Chaitanya Mangalpuru. <laughs> Shila Prabhupada called it Natahimsa and did not encourage his followers to pursue Ahimsa. Can you discuss the difference? I'm not aware uh, of the term. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure quite, quite certain of the quote. I think the the point is the, you know, the message that we're trying to send um, that people are understanding when we say ahimsa, that you know that you know when when we say that our our dairy is ahimsa dairy, people understand that these cows they're being being loved and being taken care of for the rest of their lives. We're not going to cause any violence to them, and you know I think that that's what you know ahimsa simply means for most people. Um, mm. But uh, but yeah, I'm not sure about Prabhupada's. Right. You know, specification what, on, on right. one, one term of the other. At what age do you retire your cows? Sorry, I cut out there for a second. That's okay, no problem. So retiring cows is dependent um, on the cows. Um, you know, generally, happens like these cows who are giving milk for a long time, um, it will gradually start to decline. Um, and by that age, you know, they may already be like 10 years old, you know, maybe 11 years old. Um, so at that point, you know, after that lactation cycle is over, um, they'll, they'll just retire, you know, and live, uh, live peacefully. I, I think the oldest cow in our milking herd is probably nine years old or 10 years old. Um, and that's about as old as they usually get. Wow. Amazing. Uh, I want to mention there are a couple of devotees, disciples, Shri Prabhupada, Adikarta Prabhu, and Rachir Mathri, in Alachua community. They have 12 cows. Yes, there are a number of devotees in Alachua who have cows. Uh, I was just speaking to one devotee, wow. a friend of mine. He he has one or two cows in his backyard. And I said, do you do you have like some kind of zoning? Do you have like a <laughs> permit or something? And he's like, no, this Not is a permit Alachua. or something. You, this is a Latua. You, you just have, you can have a cow. Florida, baby. <laughs> it was, uh, and I was amazed by that. I was. You can have a tiger in your backyard in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, amazing. I, I mean, yeah, there are a number of devotees. Uh, a few devotees have mentioned Dr. Prabhu and Rupir Mataji for them to come on the podcast and talk about their experience working land and having cows yeah. and things. And I'd love to, I'd love to do that in the future. Definitely. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, Alachua has a lot of nice devotees and who have a lot of land and they work the land and they have cows as well. It's beautiful. I'm excited uh, to hear that. A I didn't know there were cows down there. Yes, there are. Yes, yes. Uh, Deva Madhava Prabhu, have you seen any interest from an urban audience in cow therapy cuddling? What's the experience of so? We discussed that a little bit, but if you could uh, talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we've had... I don't know how many, at least a couple of hundred of university students over the course of the last four or five years 
um, who have visited the farm and stayed for, you know, durations, you know, ranging between five week or five days to five months. Um, and this, you know, cow cuddling experience is really like the, it's like a huge feature, you know, of the, of the farm and what they're, you know, coming out and, and looking to, uh, to access. Um, we don't really call it therapy, you know, because the therapy kind of connotates a bit more of a professional setting, you know, to it. Um, but, you know, we definitely, you know, we, we, we market our cow cuddling sessions, you know, for the students. And uh, yeah, we even uh, will inspire them to, you know, pick one of the milking cows and learn their name and milk the cow and then go later and, and cuddle with that, you know, with that specific cow and really just, you know, build that, you know, that bond and that relationship. And people feel so satisfied and, you know, a very warm experience, you know, getting to meet one of these cows. I think most people, they don't have experience of animals, you know, especially so large as cows, you know, they're used to like a small cat or something like that and cuddling a cat or, you know, something like that. But you go up, you, know, you got a 1500 pound cow and you can just wrap your arms around it. You know, it's uh, quite a Amazing. wonderful experience for people. Amazing. Um uh, thank you for addressing the Himsa and Tehimsa topic. I encourage you to take the time to study Srila Prabhupada's teachings on the topics and differences. It's an important distinction. Thank you, uh, Chaitanya Manga Prabhu. If you, if you have the time, can you please perhaps put the um, quote or where you found that mm. in the comments? I'd, I'd love great. to revisit that later. Thank you, Prabhu. Appreciate that. Uh, there's a devotee fa dairy farm near the Iskon Temple in Seattle. Also, believe it or not, a lot of um, places, a lot of temples have a, l a little farm nearby. Like I know in Houston, they have a farm. Tukaram Prabhu in Laguna Beach has a farm there. Like we don't know about it. It's not mm. like like yeah. a well-known thing. But there are devotees yeah. in communities around temple, city temples, or suburban yeah. temples which have cows, which is uh, really interesting. Yeah, I love that. So coming back to Bhishma Dev Prabhu's question, you know, that might be a good starting yeah. point. You know, maybe you're maybe right. you're not able to, you know, buy land and get a cow, but maybe you could relocate or, you know, move closer to a temple that does have a little bit of a farm project and you can, you know, see how to incorporate more of that, you know, into your lifestyle. Right. Right, right. Uh Lita Gobi, I hope you're not tired of answering questions. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I love cows talk. Cow cow katah is always welcome. Calcutta, yes. Are all of your cows well behaved? Do you have any rascals? Oh, we, well, you know, I I don't think we have any true rascals. We have people, we have ones who show a little bit of rascal dump, but <laughs> most of them are very well behaved. I spend a lot of time myself. <laughs> I, I spend a lot of time myself, you know, uh, you know, working with especially the younger ones uh, from a, if you if you can work with them from a young age and get them get them used to human interaction and right. and and help them to understand like you know the do's and don'ts around people. You know that okay, uh, humans they don't like when I touch my horns. You know to them, so I shouldn't do that. You know, so we we teach them those kinds of things. You know, especially from a young age, and then they they generally understand. You know, as they grow older, that the people they take care of us, so we should be nice. <laughs> Right. Well, very nice. Uh, okay, Chaitanya Mangal Prabhu said, "Yeah, he he's going to post that in the comments." Yudhishthir Prabhu, another fantastic interview. Thank you both. Thank you, Prabhu, for listening. Kalachandri Farm in Dallas. Dallas has a farm too. Amazing, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So, 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 um, 
Lita Gopin Prabhu is one of the main cowherds in New Vrindavan, the Mataji who is uh, asking the questions I assume he's talking about. Wow, very nice. Thank you for listening. Yes. Thank That's you for wonderful. listening uh, and, and uh, yeah, commenting. The Appreciate it. Cow protection in the United States. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. So, um, Keishi yeah. Martin Prabhu, yeah, thank amazing. you so much for coming on. Appreciate all your time and, and coming <laughs> to talk about cows. This was a fascinating discussion. I personally felt very um, educated in it because it's something I'm striving towards. Uh, and, and it was a little selfish in asking some of the questions, but I think people mm -hmm. got a lot out of it. Um, if you have any concluding statements, like what, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, you know, don't uh, don't let your life pass you by without having enough cows in your life. You know, that's the only thing I could say. You know, don't amazing. don't don't deprive don't deprive yourself of that. You know, amazing experience of being able to live with cows. And we're all devotees trying to go to Go Loka, so uh, you know we should you know learn about cows and learn how to love cows now. So yeah, yeah. yes, amazing. Cows bring uh, cows bring so much. Uh, peace, prosperity, milk, mm. paneer. I mean, of course, we don't know. Another do thing, I said, I suppose the last thing I, I want to say too is what you, as far as what you're talking about, cows bringing so many things. I also want to say too to the devotees, maybe who, you know, sometimes there's a conception, or at least there used to be many decades ago, that the farms were the place for the laziness and crazies. <laughs> you know, that, you know, if you if you couldn't make it in the cities, you know, and distributing books or preaching or whatever it might be that, you know, you get sent to the farm, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, that's certainly not the case anymore. And I just want to let devotees know that farming and cow protection is the preaching. It is the preaching of the future. Uh, people nowadays, they want to learn how to live harmoniously with nature, how to be satisfied and fulfilled in a true and genuine and authentic way. And um, I think that we have a wonderful opportunity as devotees representing Prabhupada's teachings um, to showcase, you know, that, uh, you know, wonderful pinnacle of, of, of human life and satisfaction, which is, you know, living with cows and living with the land. So, yeah, I think devotees, Nam Ras Prabhu, be fired up, you know. <laughs> I am fired up. I'm, yeah. I, I'm so fired up. I'm, thank you so much. This was very informative, yeah. educational, inspiring. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope a lot of devotees think about who are not, who don't have any interaction with the cows. Look for, so, try to get some interaction. You, yeah. You'll see a difference. Uh, you, totally you will, change your life. It will change your, your life. money back. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. So that's episode uh, 46 with Keishi Mardan Prabhu. Keishi Mardan Prabhu, stay on. I'm going to just uh, do the outro, but stay online. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Nam. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Tomorrow we're having uh, Kishori, uh, uh, Kishori Johnny come on. So uh, uh, tune in for that. Thank you so much, everyone. Appreciate it. Hari Bol. Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare.